Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. that saw Keely Hawes come back from the dead, Kim Tate return to Emmerdale, and Alan Titchmarsh start singing, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, we speak to Paddy McGuinness, who talks about his new game show and his other TV projects, including Top Gear and Celebrity Juice. Harry Redknapp tries to whip some former footballers back into shape. Plus, a Corrie favourite shares her box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Links, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So, Jeffers, how are you doing? Good start to the week. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, and there seems to be some more good stuff coming along. It TV World looks pretty good. There's loads on at the moment. I've recently become obsessed with that race across the world thing. But if you see, this is scheduled against Baptiste, so I think a lot of people have missed out on it. But it's really good. I've seen a lot of social media posts, and it, it looks interesting. Tell, tell me a bit about it. Yeah, so they have to get from they have to get around the world, but they're not allowed to get a flight. I think they have to get from England to Singapore or something, which only feels like half the world. But yeah, they have to go a massive distance, basically, and go via various checkpoints. But they've got no phones, no flights and a limited budget. So they have to like hitchhike or get a bus. And they're allowed to do like little bits of work along the way for money, like someone was grooming a camel. Love it. So there's lots of blagging involved, apprentice-style bargaining, I suppose, yeah. but, but all, for, all in the name of travel. It's really good fun. It's good. Right, let's, let's talk about the telly that's coming up couple of sort of documentaries, more sort of light entertainment things this week. Let's kick off Harry's Heroes. We all love Harry Redknapp now. We're all fully signed up members to the Redknapp fan club. Tell us about this show for ITV. Yeah, this is Harry's Heroes, the full English, nine o'clock Monday and Tuesday night this week on ITV, beyond the hub as well, of course. And it's sort of a cross between Celebrity Fit Club, if you're old enough to remember that, 2002 to 2006. Brilliant programme. a bit of Soccer Aid um, as well, maybe thrown in there. And uh, yeah, Harry Redknapp's got back sort of a, a lot of old footballing legends, really, and is trying to put them together for a match. But they're not in any sort of shape at all. Some of them are a lot worse than others. They're not really in any shape to play a match when he meets up with them. And so they're put on a sort of a fitness regime. And, and, and it's done in quite a fun, light-hearted way. But there is some serious sort of undertones to it as well, because some of them aren't in a very good way. Well, I mean, what did you think of it? 
Well, they're trying to do a lot of things with this program. They're trying to provide a vehicle for Harry, just get him on the TV whichever Definitely. way we can. They're trying to do some slimming and some health and fitness. They're trying to do some sports nostalgia. Even I could sort of get involved in as someone who only watches the Euros and the World Cups. Um, and they're also trying to do some sort of bromancy stuff, but also some mental health stuff. A couple of them break down at certain points and talk about the challenges they face and the sort of boozy, hedonistic lifestyle of a footballer. So that sounds like a lot to cram in. And a couple of times it did job, but I just thought it was really entertaining. I really enjoyed watching it. Yes, it's a very easy watch, I think. As you say, everyone knows, even if you're not massively into football, everyone knows some of these characters, you know, David Seaman, uh, Matt Letizia, Chris Waller. These are all sort of big names. John Barnes from back in the day. But loves his fried chicken. Yeah, he does. And he, he still <laughs> loves banging on about the rap. You see him do the rap at eight oh, times God. in the first 20 minutes. It's trying to do quite a lot of things and maybe doesn't do them all perfectly. You have got some serious things in there. You've got Paul Merson talking about gambling addiction and problems with alcohol. And it, it's hard to not gloss over that when you've only got two two episodes. And it does feel a bit like there could almost be separate documentaries, maybe more serious ones on some subjects. Neil Ruddock is very badly overweight and there's a lot of... Uh, worries about his heart condition. He's not worried. He, Everyone else is worried. He's not he, bothered. He doesn't seem worried about anything, does he? I mean, he's, he's seen their party in a way still. And they're also putting a diet as part of the programme and you can clearly see some of the lads are keeping to it a lot more than the other ones. But it is quite fun. I, th- I imagine the sort of people out there who, who listen to talk sport a lot, they're going to love this. People of a certain age who remember all these guys are going to really enjoy it. I'm not sure necessarily if you're, if you're a younger viewer, maybe it doesn't have the same resonance. You know, you weren't watching the World Cup in 1990. I'm not sure how much you, you would love it because you're used to your footballers all being perfectly trained. But but it's an interesting programme and uh, Harry's also got a good laugh and I think Harry comes across well again. And what I really like is the fact that sometimes with these programmes they're so sort of manipulated that they have to pretend to be friends. But these guys clearly all know each other. Harry's managed some of them in the past and they know each other from being in England matches together or whatever. There's a real banter and camaraderie between them that is very natural and not just there for the programme, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, some of them seem like they're already friends, perhaps already in touch. And you've got that moment where they all meet up before they actually know what they've let themselves in for, really. I think they just think they're meeting for like a a one-off match or a bit of training or something. And they all seem so pleased to see each other and they they end up going fishing together and some of them are in the pub together and stuff. And you're right, that is a really nice side of it and a a softer side. And you also get to see funny things like Matt Letizia's got a biscuit drawer in his house and you sort of see that <laughs> one of the reasons he, he's not in the best of shape now is he, he's got a custard cream obsession which is is a funny little detail but it's just it's just weird to think of these football idols who at one point you know have millions of fans and now sort of in this little you know semi-detached house sort of dipping into his custard creams every day so so it's, there's some nice light-hearted moments as well I think and you get to see Harry in his beautiful house with his bulldog who doesn't want that yeah so that's you know we're very pro that that's a good one later in, in the week Channel 4 Michael Burke has an interesting task. He's trying to help Joey Essex to improve his memory. Tell us why this is happening. Well, it seems to be a vehicle for this guy called Mark Channon, and he's very good at using memory techniques. And so what it is, is it's set around him and he gets to work on Gokwan, Joey Essex and Valerie Singleton. What a trio. A, a quite a, eclectic mix. And he... <laughs> And he's trying to teach them basically memory techniques about certain different subjects. So we've got, you've got the periodic table. Joey is trying to learn all about William the Conqueror. And Valerie Singleton, oddly, is learning about UK grime artists. They've obviously done that because they think she can't possibly know about grime. Wouldn't it have been amazing if actually she's like Stormzy's biggest fan? Massively that would have been into better. it. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so it all centres around these three. And uh, Mark gets to work on them. He has a few sessions with them and explains how he works and how his memory techniques work. 
and they then face tests from Michael Burke. It's a little bit like Child Genius in that sense. It has a similar feel, doesn't it? I don't know if it's the same production company, but it, the set is similar. The going away and kind of cramming thing is similar. It's not wildly different. And I think probably if you like Child Genius, there's a decent chance you might like this. And you also got that added pressure where they do the tests in front of an audience. And that obviously seems to put some of the kids off. And also there's the chance that that could put that celebrities off because basically the technique is all about sort of imagining your mind going into a room or imagine a scene and then you have to sort of tell a story and the story is where you pick up the different parts of the things you need to memorise, especially subjects and then they also have to memorise a load of um, objects and they have to again use this memory technique for those and it's quite interesting and, and it's sort of as you'd imagine they've there's sort of mixed results in terms of how good they are at doing it it's very false though, isn't it it's good if you need to remember a list of things that are in that room about and a ball and a handbag and a pair of shoes which is one of their tests but that's not what i use my memory for i just i want to be able to just recall what was the name of that actor why did i come in this room all of that kind of stuff which is not something you sit and line things up and learn them it's a very specific process and only works i think for certain things i have heard of it the technique before i know that it's used for things like to memorize cards people who are professional poker players they use it to try and memorize packs of cards so it would give them an edge when they're gambling and it works for something like the periodic table that Gox got, it does sort of work for something like that because perhaps if you needed to, for your job or something, memorise that or a table of, of numbers, it would be good. But for something like William the Conqueror, or it's not quite so formulaic. So so it's uh, probably a little bit flawed in that sense. When I did my chemistry level, I think I was allowed to take a periodic table in. I don't, don't think we need to learn it. It's, it. That feels like a waste of your life, learning the periodic table. Did you enjoy it as a piece of tenny? Yes, yes. But I think, you know, if you were choosing between the two, it, I'd definitely say Harry's Heroes is, is a more fun watch. This was quite interesting, but but nothing more than that. I think it's probably one for if you're into the sort of child genius or you're interested in sort of trying to improve your memory, it's worth watching. But it's, it's nothing special. To for me, they could have had more celebs. Three wasn't really enough. If you're going to do it, go for it and make it bigger, I think. But But not bad. So Corrie fans will know that there's going to be huge drama on the cobbles this week. Someone's going to die as a result of the Underworld factory collapse. Actually, one of the potential victims is going to give us a box set to watch before you die later. So that's exciting. But for now, someone in Corrie's going to die. Jeffers, I want you to go to your dark side this week. I know you're a very nice man. But my big question is, which TV character do you need to lose? Who do you want to see be killed off? Well, as you say, it goes against my character. So I did look online, first of all, for some inspiration. <laughs> Can't possibly think badly of anyone. Sure, go. Scrappy-Doo seems to be a common what? theme. Yeah, You're killing a dog yeah, straight off. Screech in Saved by the Bell. I wasn't having that at all. Screech is an integral part of that hit show um, that I've loved very much when I was a bit younger. So I'm going to keep it current and also a regular sort of uh, annoyance of ours. And I'm going to kill off the receptionist in The Greatest Answer. Not the woman in real life, obviously. I'm sure she's very nice. I think she might even be an executive producer, but just that role of the receptionist, I just think it's needless, it's pointless. We kill that off. We're going to boost the ratings for them as well. What about you? Have you got any ideas of who to kill off? Yeah, well, I've got two. Okay. One I think is controversial. One I think everyone in the world will agree with. My controversial one is Baptiste. Now, I know... Baptiste himself? Baptiste himself. Julien. Because... I know his name's in the title, but it's got worse since he joined. The missing was brilliant. Then they bigged up Baptiste and now it's, it's not as good. Tom He's... Holland is great, but he's upstaging Baptiste himself. And wouldn't it be dramatic? What a great twist if Baptiste pegged it and then, then someone else would have to investigate it. Maybe his new relative. Jessica Rain's character, maybe? Yeah, she's great. Maybe she could take over. 
So yeah, that I know that's a bit no, controversial. That is controversial, yeah. This one's not controversial. Call the Midwife fans will be with me here. There has been a character that since series one has been at death's door. She's looked peaky the entire way through. <laughs> then there's been young characters that have died and she's just survived. This is Sister Monica Joan. Oh my God, how can this woman still be alive? She's really annoying. She's a survivor. <laughs> like Beyonce. Yeah. She, I mean, I know that they're using that character to deal with sorts of issues and stuff, but she's very forgetful and it's, it's annoying to watch. Not annoying in real life, you know, if I understand that these things happen, but as a character on a TV series, just desist, make it stop. I can't bear it anymore. How is she not dead? At some point, I agree, she does have to die and, and it will be a big episode when it happens. But yeah, it, she can't go on forever, I guess is what we're saying. I think she will. She's like a cockroach. <laughs> you're listening to Series Linked. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed and tell your friends as well while you're at it. Okay, so I'm very pleased now to say that joining us on the phone should be the comedian, presenter and telly matchmaker. It's the one and only Paddy McGuinness. Paddy, how's it going? I'm very well, thank you. I've just um, got the kids in, just done the tea. I don't know if you've got children yourself, either of you two, but there's a tie called LOL, and it's the worst tie ever, and I've just got <laughs> my daughter one, and it is. I literally nearly had a nervous breakdown trying to figure it out. So much plastic packaging on them. David Attenborough would have a coronary. <laughs> if you stole it it's frightening so it's, we're here to talk really Paddy about Catchpoint it's this new physical and mental challenge sort of game show tea time Saturdays tell us all about it well I wouldn't I wouldn't go mad with the physical aspect it's just <laughs> catching a ball so you know it's not it's not the gladiators <laughs> uh, but you answer a question you catch a ball you move on and you win money you've got it dead dead simple the actual questions and the play along ability is really good that's what i liked about it so it'll be like uh, 10 pictures of david beckham's uh haircuts over the years and it'll be just looking at the haircuts it'll be like put them in order of which haircut came first so it's things like that so it's not straightforward sort of you know what's the capital of such a place you might have an idea at the answer, but a lot of it's guesswork. That sounds like my level of questions, David Beckham's haircut. So as you say a question, are you supposed to catch the ball? So you'll narrow it down to whichever one it is. So you stub under there, and if it's the right answer, the ball will drop from above that picture and you'll catch it. Now, if it's not the right answer, the ball will drop from wherever it is on the board, which is the right answer. You can still catch the ball, but that's where the physical part comes in, so you've got to be a little bit quicker. So even if you get the answer wrong, you could still win the money. I've seen you on Soccer A, Paddy. You're pretty nimble. Do you, do you think you'd be any good at the game yourself? Well, I give it a go. It's one of them games where when you're watching it and if they don't catch the ball, you, you're sat at home sort of going, how can they not do that? But when I did it myself, I realised it is quite difficult, funnily enough. And when you're right underneath it and there's like a, these little bleeps go off first before the ball drops, the tension gets to them and the balls vary in size as well. Sounds very complicated, it's not. And Saturday Tea Time Quiz Show is a bit of an institution. Did you immediately think, yeah, I'm up for a bit of that? It's funny, over the years, I've been lucky enough to uh, have been asked to do a few of those kind of shows and it's always never been at the right time of I've had something on or whatever, it, whatever the reason's been. And this one came along just at the right time. I'm not tied to a, a sort of a desk or anything on the show. I move about. 
and it's really loose in that sense, and I can kind of ad-lib and chat about whatever I want, really. So that's what appealed to me. Uh, there's no good me. I'm not a kind of person who stands behind a podium or a desk with, like, a, a set of cards, you know, going, question one, what is... Da, 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 da. It's, it's not my thing, that. Is there a bit more pressure, Paddy, when you do a show like this and it's on, say, on a Saturday night instead of a weekday? No, I think... Uh, I've kind of pretty much always done Saturday night TV and it is definitely the most pressurised night of the week for telly and, and viewing figures and people's eyes on it. In the press sort of clippings for the, for this show, it says the premise of the game is simple, don't drop the ball. Um, I just wanted to check, there's no danger in terms of you taking too much on, you didn't sort of hesitate about this one because obviously you've got catch point. You can now gonna have celebrity juice. You've got Top Gear. Presumably, take me out. It's gonna come back at some point. You you got a lot on, Paddy. Got a lot on. I'm uh, I'm trying to break Romesh Ranganathan's record for the most <laughs> shows on TV at any one time. But what people don't realise with TV is that's up to the schedulers. I don't record them all at once. For instance, I recorded Take Me Out last year, and then I recorded Catch Point uh, towards the end of last year. Top Gear's going out the middle of this year. So it's just sometimes out of the fall, you know, but that's, that's kind of up to the schedules, really. In terms of Celebrity Juice, there's a lot of speculation about who was going to take that job. And I, I don't think your name was really rumoured, even though people think, oh, yeah, it seems an obvious choice now. Did you always fancy that as a, as a job? It, it was something I never give a minute's thought to, to be honest. Um, myself and Lee have worked together a hell of a lot over the years. And we do the Keith and Paddy Pitch show as well. I'd done every series of, of Juice. I was on the first ever episode of Juice uh, before anyone knew what it was. And then a long time ago, the guy, you know, one of the exec producers and Lee were talking to me about it, seeing if I fancied it. And I had to look at if I could make the dates work because I didn't want to do it and not do them all. You know, I wanted to make sure I could commit, commit to it. So it took us a while to get the dates sorted. But now they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm looking forward to it. Are you under strict instructions not to reveal too much? Do you have to sort of kind of watch yourself when you're on that kind of show? When you say reveal too much, you do know we're on about celebrity juice. Well, I know. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing to reveal. It's, it's, I, he'll probably be spitting something into my mouth or connecting me up to some kind of electrodes or something. It's not, uh, there's no mystery to it. Well, Deck was revealing his favourite sex positions when he was on there. So, you know, you've got to be careful. He was doing what? He was, they were asking what his favourite sex positions were and it all came out, all the secrets. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. I'm immediately withdrawing from the show. <laughs> Not Deck, he's a national institution. We don't, I don't want to know what sex positions he gets up to. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> and then, Paddy, at the other end of the scale, I guess, you've got you've got Top Gear, and it's a job that I think when you landed it, you said it's something you've watched since you were a small boy, so presumably you couldn't really say no to that either. There's certain shows on TV over the years where you think to yourself, oh, I'd like to have a go at that. And Top Gear, very similar to Juice, really. It was a show I've always enjoyed. watched it since I was a kid. Absolutely no ambition at all to ever host it or get involved with it you know i just like anyone else just a fan of the show so again it came from nowhere really uh i didn't have to think about it and myself chris and freddie have already been filming all over the uk at the minute and we're off on our travels next week it's been an absolute joy to do i, I can't wait to see it on telly and how do you feel about following on from someone like matt leblanc I, I'm one of these people, like you were saying about Saturday Night TV being, uh, you know, 
a pressurised environment, I probably look at the job differently to most people because I don't get bogged down in thinking about things like that or thinking about, oh, what's, is this going to work? or Is, that, is anyone going to watch it? Is anyone going to like it? You know, I kind of do my best on shows and the rest is up to the gods, really, you know, but I'll just get stuck in with Top Gear like we have been doing and I can only go off what I've seen myself and what we're doing, I'm really happy with it. And I think it's got a really nice balance of, of the car and comedy as well. And I think it'll appeal probably to a, a slightly broader audience as well, the way we've done it. You know, it won't just be sort of a, you have to be an, a real petrol head to sort of get anything out of it, you know, because even back in the day when Clarkson and Hammond and May did it, kind of the most popular parts were the trips they did abroad, which really had nothing to do with reviewing cars or anything like that. It was just a road trip. So, you know, it's just about striking the right balance, really. And the three of you are going to be pretty competitive once you get behind the wheel? Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm slightly competitive, but, but Freddie's, like, next level. Literally anything's a competition to him, which for us is what's out of treats on camera, really. But, yeah, no, it'll be very competitive. And people will be desperate to know whether Take Me Out is continuing. It's a big part of people sort of getting ready to go out on a Saturday night routine. Is that just going on for the foreseeable? There seems no reason why it shouldn't. Yeah, as long as we've recorded the new series. So it'll be on uh, some sometime this year. And we've done some specials as well. As long as people want it, I'll be there. And all this presenting, which we love seeing you do, but do you kind of fancy doing a doing some acting again, doing a sitcom maybe? Yeah, I, I, I really, really like acting. I definitely don't feel any pressure with acting, you know. It's lovely turning up on set and, you know, just chatting and and having a laugh and, and then you record something. It don't quite work. You have another go at it and stuff, you know. And But when you're hosting, presenting or or you're doing anything on tour, you know, you're, you're under a lot of pressure all the time with because, because of the live audience element. But acting doesn't have that unless you're doing theatre. But... Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I think I think I'd like to. I'd like to have a little go at something like just start getting into that line of duty. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I could definitely do something in that. I'm basically such a fan of that show. I'll do anything, you know. If they want me to be a crack addict, you know, in a scene, I will be. <laughs> I was seeing you as a bent copper rather than a crack addict, but darker. I like it. Well, you know, it could be one and the same thing. <laughs> you know, we don't know. What else do you watch on telly when you're just kicking back and relaxing? I'm just on series three of Line of Duty because, I, I, I mean, it must have been on for a few years now, but I have literally done a thing about it until two weeks ago and I just did the binging, you know, watching them all one after the other. I've just started getting into Game of Thrones. I'll tell you where I am on Game of Thrones. Sean Bean's still alive. <laughs> I am really early stages of that, but I'm enjoying it, you know. Great. Well, at least you're onto it now. Paddy, thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget that you can watch Catchpoint this Saturday night at 10 to 7 on BBC One. So, Jeffers, a couple more shows to discuss this week. The first one's been causing quite the fury. This is that Madeleine McCann Netflix documentary. Obviously, we all know the case very well and we're all interested in the case, so it makes you think, should I check out this thing on Netflix? We've both watched it. Jeffers, tell us a little bit more about it, first of all. It's called The Disappearance of Madeleine McCann. It's an eight-part series and it uses some dramatisation of some of the moments around the disappearance. 
there was a sort of quite an anticipation around this. There were also some rumours that it was being cut down to less parts. It's been delayed from the original release date. I've got to start off by saying I think maybe it's been made for the American market or the non-UK market. The reason I say this is because it feels like there is a lot of old information here being rehashed. I think I've watched five or six parts of it now and so far there is nothing new really, no new information at all. I've got to be honest, I was really disappointed in terms of the actual content. There's more than 40 contributors, I think, on screen. But the most important thing is the parents themselves are not involved, Kate and Joe McCann. Also, the Tapas 7, as they're known, which is the friends they were at, on holiday with and were out having dinner with when Madeline went missing. They're not involved either. And to be honest, most of the relevant people aren't involved. So I just think it's, it's mainly a rehash of old information and, and it's it's pretty disappointing. And how they thought it was worth doing eight parts, I'm, I'm not too sure. What, what did you think? Oh, it's really dragged out, isn't it? You can see why they want to do something about this. This is one of the most high-profile crimes or cases that we've seen in recent years everyone knows about it or certainly everyone over here knows about it uh, and they're doing so well with true crime stuff making a murderer was huge for them and abducted in plain sight so why not do a documentary about this the difference being that no one knows anymore about what's happened to madeline mccann it's a very strange case there isn't a resolution everyone has these big question marks and like you say certainly in the uk we kind of know all there is to know about it kate and jerry are very upset about it the parents because so it starts off sort of outlining the case and then it spends about three episodes really going in on the fact that they, they thought that the parents were suspicious and the allegations that were thrown at them, the sniffer dogs and why they seemed suspicious at the time. And actually, that's as far as I've got. And because I was getting a bit bored of it, I might stop there. Apparently, it then goes on to say to discredit some of some of that so-called evidence and to, you know, come back a bit and say it's not the parents. But if you just stop there, no wonder Kate and Jerry are upset that this is going out because it basically just says oh well it was the parents all along and they haven't been done which is you know pretty bold considering that they haven't been consulted on this documentary it's really meandering they obviously wanted to string it out there's a whole section about the history of Pride Deluge which is where this takes place and uh, something about a local and it's in some ways this could be interesting and there was a there was a documentary a while ago where they did contribute and, and that was interesting but Oh, God, it's really try hard and, and pretty bad taste, actually, I think. I think the other thing, you make a good point there about it going off on some quite mad tangents. Uh, there's another element of it where it talks about an article that was written in Portugal about the pact that the parents and their friends have about not really speaking and them agreeing a version of events. But it's, it's a moderately interesting article, but we then have sort of 20 minutes about who wrote this article, the fact that one of the female journalists involved had written some previous big stories about other cases and it tells us about one of the other cases and it seems to keep going off about other aspects that are not relevant to the McCann disappearance at all and I can only presume that is in order to to pad it out the other big important thing to say I suppose is Netflix in this genre are normally brilliant and that's why I feel like we can be quite harsh on them about this with something like making a murderer there was lots of new information it's led to court appeals it's led to you know a protest publicly about things that have gone on and other documentaries as well. They've got new insight or new information and that's how these sort of documentaries work best. You know, the same with the recent Michael Jackson documentary, new information, new interviews, you know, incredible insight. From what I've seen so far and speaking to colleagues who've seen all of it, there isn't really any new insight in this documentary. They haven't really got the relevant people that might be able to provide new information and I think it's just, 
it just feels really disappointing. If you put out an eight-part series, you've got to sort of back that up with some new information or something that's really well made even. And I just feel like a lot of the information is old. All the Kate and Jerry footage is, is very old. And, and anyone in the UK who cares about this case, which there are a lot of people, they've seen a lot of this already. So I really don't think it's worth their time to spend eight hours watching this. So we've established that we don't think it's a good documentary, but do you think it's out of order? Do you think it's bad taste that they've put it on at all? I can understand that argument, but I mean, this happens a lot now. There are documentaries about ongoing cases. There are dramatisations of many stories that are very fresh in the minds. The BBC and ITV quite often dramatise things that have happened within the last 10 or 15 years. Most of the time they do seek the family's consent for things like that. Maybe Netflix obviously tried to as well in this case. But I don't think you can necessarily say you can't do documentaries about cases like this. I just think that it could have been done in a better way. Okay, so I mean, it's kind of difficult to resist watching it, but we're just saying he's probably not going to get that much out of it. Let's move on. Let's talk about The Bay. This is a new drama on ITV. It's kind of being billed as the new Broadchurch, starring Morven Christie. Set it up, Jeffers. This is about a pair of twins, Holly and Dylan Meredith, and they go missing, and it centres around a family liaison officer called Lisa Armstrong, and she then realises mid-case that she's got a connection to the family that might not be just professional. It's a really interesting setup, quite new and quite different in the sense that it's coming from the eyes of a family liaison officer. I think we're used to it being the person heading up the case or maybe the family. So it's a nice twist on it. And I've only watched the first episode, but I was really into this. I thought it was great. Yeah, I kind of thought, oh, another ITV crime drama. Really? We're doing this again? But it was really good. And again, I'm not the biggest Morven Christie fan, to be honest, but I thought she was really good in it. She was playing quite a different kind of character. You know, I thought she was hadn't seen that kind of police officer on TV before. And there's something about the family liaison officer role. Either all TV dramas have been doing it wrong or this one's doing it wrong because it's very different. Usually they sit at home with the... Obviously, I only know this from TV dramas, but they sit at home with the family, don't really do much, make cups of tea, chat to them. Whereas Morven Christie's character is out there investigating the case but just happens to be the first point of call for the family. So it's quite different from what we've seen before in TV crime drama. You're right. She She's sort of set up as quite a senior detective, I think. And it's almost like her boss essentially gives her that role for this case. That That's how it seems in the setup. But yes, Morven Christie is playing Lisa Armstrong and she is great. And th- then she, she is in with the family, which is uh, Sean Meredith, the dad, and Jess Meredith, the mum. And they're played by Jonas Armstrong and Chanel Cresswell. Uh, Chanel Cresswell's character she just seems to have the world on her shoulders. There's obviously issues within the family. She's pregnant at the time. She's got, I think, three, maybe four kids already. It just doesn't seem like a very happy family. So you've got the issues of what secrets there are behind the door of that family. And then policewoman herself, Lisa Armstrong, she's also got a few secrets herself. What it does is it really sets up well in the first episode. There's lots of unanswered questions, like with all the good dramas at the moment, but it really made me want to watch, carry on watching. And I think it's a six-part series, so it's going to be wrapped up fairly quickly as well. I'll keep watching, but there are a couple of bits that you had to take with a massive pinch of salt, I have to say. There's a bit where she tries to conceal something that I just think, there's no way, there's no way you could conceal. You're working with a whole team of people, absolutely not. But in general, this was much better than I was expecting it to be. I think that's a really good point. Um, there are a couple of bits where you, you immediately think, well, that wouldn't happen or that wouldn't be allowed to happen. And, and I think that's a common theme. I think a lot of people said that last week about cheat towards the end of that. They were saying, oh, you know, this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen. Oh, the paper would need to be marked twice. You, I think if you're watching a drama and you're enjoying it to some degree, you've got to go with it and you've got to let the odd thing, the odd factual thing, just let it go and just enjoy it for a drama. Because I think if 
there's a danger of us all getting a bit too picky about every fact. And if you do that, you, I just think it's going to take away from the enjoyment of almost any drama. So it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Now, last week, Matt Richardson recommended Unreal. We were quite into that. And this week, it's the turn of Sally Dinover, who is currently trapped under some rubble as Sally Metcalf in Corrie. Here is her box set to watch before you die. Hi, I'm Sally Dinover, and the box set I think you should watch before you die is The Sopranos. Marriage, or any partnership for that matter, is a give and a take. We are a family, so we're going to deal with this as a family. This was one of the first box sets that came around, and I think the characters are so brilliant. They're so well-defined. Puss, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't have any options, because you got friends, friends that would die for you. It's set in New York, which is really exciting, and it's about the mafia. Any thoughts at all on why you blacked out? I don't know. Stress, maybe. Is everybody in my life bananas or what? Tony Soprano, the lead character, his journey is incredible and um, I really enjoyed it. Just when they thought I was out, they pulled me back in. (laughs) Our true enemy has yet to reveal himself. I warn you, do not do it! Oh, Sally from Corrie recommending The Sopranos. What do we think of that, Jeffers? Yeah, not the choice I was necessarily expecting from her, but it is a great choice. I'm surprised in some ways it wasn't already taken up. Someone hadn't used it already. It's an absolute classic, another HBO series. It's all set around Tony Soprano, really played by James Gandolfini. And it's in that sort of mould of like Goodfellas, uh, Godfather, those type of things. Gandolfini won three Emmys for this, a Golden Globe. I mean, it's a huge series and, yeah, well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. What do you think of it? Well, I also haven't seen it, which makes me a terrible uh, TV journalist because everyone's supposed to have seen The Sopranos and everyone has amazing things to say about it. It was one of those shows before TV was cool, you know, before Killing Eve and all the sexy telly that actually people who look down on telly would say, oh, but The Sopranos is brilliant. That's spot on, really. I think it's, it was it was a rarity in the sense that it was a really good drama on TV, whereas now we're quite used to those things. There's six seasons of it, 86 episodes. And if anyone listened, I imagine a lot of our listeners will have already seen The Sopranos. There is a prequel coming. Uh, there's a release date now, September 2020, it's going to be out. And uh, James Gandolfini's son, his real-life son, is going to be in the film. So, yeah, it's going to be quite exciting. Good knowledge. In the film rather than TV? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a movie, September 25th next year, and it's just called New York. Okay, so I've got to watch Sopranos by then. Yeah. Thanks very much, Sally, for your choice. And as we know, it's a dramatic week on the cobbles. If you want to watch the underworld factory collapse, why wouldn't you? It's on this week, Monday and Wednesday. And you can also catch up on the ITV hub. And we will have another box set to watch before you die next week. Well, we're almost out of time for this week's episode, but save the best till last, as always. We need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. This is the thing Jeffers rehearses for all week. It's your moment. What should we be keeping an eye on next week? 
next week. Well, I'm, this starts on Sunday, but it's going to be huge. It's Blue Planet Live. It's a four-night special. You've got Chris Packham, Liz Bonin and Steve Backshaw across three continents. You've got a daytime version of the show as well. This is going to be a big environmental show. I think loads and loads of people are going to be interested in this. And as well as Blue Planet, there's also a David Jason series. We don't see him enough on TV these days. That's going to be on gold. That's called Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And he's over in America and he's basically driving planes, trains and automobiles at the age of 79, doing stunts, all sorts. I think a lot of people are going to like that one too. They just basically said, David Jason, what can we do to make you What do you telly? fancy doing, David? Do you want to go to America and do all these stunts and stuff? Oh, yeah, sounds all right. So, yeah, that's what's <laughs> happened. Next month? Next month is a new BBC drama called The Victim. It's going to star Kelly MacDonald, and she plays a mum whose son was killed by a child killer, and she's sort of looking for revenge, and it's going to ask lots of questions about who the real victim in this story and in this drama is. Lots about vigilante attacks. It's, I've seen a little preview and it's really, really good. And next year? Next year is Belgravia. This is Julian Fellow's new period drama. It's um, got a casting now as well announced. We've got Phil Glenister, we've got Dame Harriet Walter and Tamsin Gregg. We're looking at a lavish new costume drama, six parts, and it's going to start in 1815 in Brussels. And there's going to be lots of families involved, probably warring. I think we're looking at a Downton Abbey type vibe. Exciting. Downton movie to come and that as well, Belgravia. Lots for us to keep an eye on. But that's all we've got time for this week. This has been the Series Linked podcast. And if you fancy doing a good deed for the day, if you've enjoyed yourself, please leave us a five-star rating and a little review if you'd be so kind. And make sure you're subscribed as well so the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. Bye-bye. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.